I remember the time I got my first Brazilian. It was at this luxurious spa where everyone dressed in white and talked in soothing whispers. I sat in my crisp bathrobe in a leather armchair in the waiting room with a glass of iced cucumber water and a napkin full of nuts and dried fruit. Harps chimed the speakers between sweet little chirpy birdies and the sound of rushing water. My bliss was interrupted by my name being called up by the most beautiful South American lady I have ever seen. I sheepishly followed her to the room of doom, watching her hips sway, her silky long black hair beckoning me forth. Once we got in there, she fussed over me, laying out the instructions for the procedure, her huge eyelashes batting at me as if to profess her innocence. I did as I was told, and then she began to torture me with hot wax and God knows what until my nose ran and my eyes watered, and when I finally couldn't take it anymore, I begged her for a break. And you know what she said to me in her broken English? She said, no breaks, like that. She emphasized the word no and ended it with a softer breaks and punctuated the command with a smile and, as if on cue, a flutter of eyelashes. And I begged her again, and again she replied, no breaks, flutter, smile. When I finally realized she wasn't going to grant my request, I asked her if she had the power to switch the spa music to something heavier, like Metallica. I don't make a habit of timing my runs, and in fact, I rarely do. But on occasion, if I'm not racing much, I'll clock my pace on a long run to see where I'm at, and when I do, I don't stop my watch during water breaks or at stoplights or at any other time. I keep it running, because come race day, that clock won't stop for anything either. No breaks. Because we're human, we have pride. We have excuses. We have perfectly self-validated reasons for lying, and now we're so good at it that we'd be ashamed to stop. It's addicting and fulfills our need to be something other than who we are. But then it hides who we really are and all of our pride and excuses and reasons and addictions grow larger than life and all of a sudden we're disappeared altogether and we're alone. We have nobody left around us to lie to. Freddie reminded me tonight of the time we lost Lola, our red corn snake. One moment she was throwing down mice in our tank and the next day she was gonzo. We went on a snake rampage, searching every little corner of the house, imagining where a little snakey might hide, but we kept coming up with nothing. We eventually gave up. Days passed. Weeks passed. And then one day I sat down on the floor in the computer room to go through my school binders to find an old assignment. And when I flipped open the pages, Lola was found folded, chilling and peaceful along the spine of the binder. I fucking freaked. I screamed and jumped and threw the binder in the air. The kids ran over to laugh at me and to collect their beloved pet. Truth comes out. Lies can hide in cool, dark corners, but nothing charms them to the surface better than a bit of light. And then once they surface, we can let go of all that worry that weighs us down, of when it'll show up and where and how much will it hurt. Because once it's out, we're light and free and able to go on living. There was this one time that I spilled coffee all over my cell phone. I always drink my coffee with copious amounts of cream and so whenever I spill it, which is often, the ramifications of such spills are costly because old milk stinks like ass. 
but yet I still thought that when my cell phone stopped working and I brought it to TELUS, that for some reason they wouldn't know that I spilled coffee all over it. Not true. Because when I marched up to the counter and indignantly demanded that my cell phone be fixed, I was shocked and horrified that the guy opened up my phone and felt milk and coffee sludge crusted onto the battery pack. It was embarrassing. I had to admit that, yes, um, I remember spilling coffee all over it and that, yes, I am aware that I am responsible for the cost of fixing my phone. We initially hide behind our lies to save face, but in the end, we always look like assholes because the truth always comes out. It just does. As sure as the earth is round, the truth always comes out. It's frightening to accept, but it's also quite freeing because we don't have to pretend anything anymore. We can just let go and be. One of my favorite sayings is one that my dad always says, and it goes like this. We are only as sick as our secrets. As much as I'd love to pretend that I'm lounging in a hot tub holding a martini and listening to Kenny G on my surround sound, I must admit that I'm sitting in bed with cracker crumbs all over my shirt, and the only sounds I hear are the tapping of the keys on my keyboard and my morbidly obese cat snoring beside me on the floor because he's too fat to jump up on the bed. Truth hurts, but it's freeing. Open it up, clean house, and move on. A few years back during a particularly messed up time in my life, I was driving along River Road in Fort Langley, and I pitched a full McDonald's cup of Diet Coke out the window of my van. Just like litter the motherfucker out all over the road, just like that. And as soon as the cup left my hand, Something inside of me woke up and it wasn't pretty. I knew in that moment that my heart had gone cold and throwing my litter out the window, although a smaller crime along the grand scale of life's fuck-ups was a direct result of an unhealthy heart. That cup became a symbol, as it were, of my mess, my issues, my shit. I was staring head-on into the darkest part of myself and I was filled with remorse, which thankfully was soon replaced by a strong desire to change. It's easy to do the right thing when everyone is watching, but it's even easier to do the wrong thing when we know that nobody can see us. Each cup that we litter brings our integrity down a notch and although it seems like a slow fade, you'll notice that one day you'll wake up and the symbol of the mess won't be something as small as a littered cup. It will be much bigger, and it will hurt much more. Not out of paying penance for my crime, but out of a true desire to become a better human being, I began to do the right things when nobody was watching. And guess what? The peaceful, easy feeling at the end of the night is by far more satisfying than anything anyone else has to offer. Because I know it makes me a full, loving Susie, not an empty, needy girl. And that's something I can drink Diet Coke and vodka too. Let's agree on something. That there's nothing more relieving than hearing the person in the stall next to us flush the toilet mere seconds after doing a poo. Then they wipe and then flush again. The first flush, it's called a courtesy flush. It's to prevent the poo from stinking up the bathroom while they tidy up shop. We all make mistakes, right? I'm not talking like... You accidentally wore black socks with white shoes or put your fingers in your mouth after picking your earwax. I'm talking about the mistakes that hurt people. If we make a mistake and don't deal with it as fast as we possibly can, then it's going to saturate into the rest of our lives and stick around a lot longer than it should. Instead of taking our time, 
Let's be mindful of the people around us. And as soon as we realize we messed up, we flush. Then we clean up shop, deal with the ones we hurt, and help them heal while we work on changing our own behavior. And then we flush again for good measure. Callum will walk by me holding a train or a race car or something, and I'll get a whiff of poo. And then I'll ask him in a sweet sing-song voice, Callum, do you have poo-poos? To which he will vehemently deny, back up, toss his train and car to the side like a drunk driver would throw up beer cans in a police pursuit. I have to corner the kid, tackle him, heave him over my left shoulder, and haul him upstairs with the diaper change. The boy's old enough to poo on the potty. Hell, he's old enough to reason it, defend it to the death, and then kick the crap out of whoever ends up changing his stinky diaper. From time to time, we all get caught with poo in our pants. In the heat of the moment, it's a knee-jerk reaction for us to toss the beer cans out the window and kick the crap out of our captors. When we do come around, then sure, we can get our shit together. It leaves a mark, it's a little embarrassing, but a hot bath and some body lotion can work wonders. Potty training shouldn't take years though, or you're gonna run out of people who are willing to wipe your ass. As you may have heard, I've been spending a lot of time in the bathroom lately, and not just for reasons pertaining to my Instagram handle. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I've had diarrhea due to the iron supplements I've been taking. But because Callum is newly potty trained and now drops le doux in le toilette, the step stool he's supposed to be using to climb upon the throne himself is instead used to support myself as I sit and wait freaking forever for him to do his thing. So, I've been thinking. That it's funny and strange how it's normal for me to watch Callum go poo, up close and personal, with grimaces, poo coming out sounds and all, punctuated with a plop. But that one day, hopefully sooner than later, this type of behavior where his mother watches him take a shit becomes unacceptable. Humiliating, even. I mean, I can't pinpoint exactly when it happened, but I certainly don't sit beside Jake on the toilet and watch him go. Maybe figuratively, but (laughs) that's another story. What the hell am I talking about? I'm talking about human behavior. That it's amazing to me how one day a person's behavior will be not only acceptable, but normal and expected, but that as we evolve as humans, certain behaviors, if we're healthy and growing and moving toward independence and competency, will naturally get phased out and replaced by new, more socially acceptable and less destructive behaviors. Except some people get stuck on the throne, though, don't they? Grimacing, stinking the place up while we watch on in awkward repulsion. Or maybe it's we that sit there, point at the step stool beside us and expect our loved ones to keep us company. No, and that's all I have to say about that. About a year ago, or maybe even more, I got off the phone with my sister Tracy and my cheeks were burning. She had vented some frustration to me over my seemingly endless and nauseating amounts of grace and forgiveness. She had reached her max as far as extending grace to people in her own life, and she called me up needing an accomplice, not a counselor. Months later, I get it. And last Friday night when I called Tracy, she knew I needed an accomplice. Well, and I pretty much stated exactly what I planned to do and what time she should meet me and where. I'll bring the can of tuna, I told her, and she replied with, I'll be the driver. 
I ran out of grace. Of course, I'm not going to smear tuna under the driver's side handle of anyone's car door, and of course, I'm not going to list off the horrible injustices that have been done to me because A, I'd open up a can of something a lot worse than tuna, and B, I'd probably get my ass sued faster than I can hide my huge hair behind a parked car. But mostly, I'm not going to be an asshole in return because it makes me feel good to not be an asshole. And I like making myself feel good. What's a piece of writing without a double entendre? It's not about grace. Because being gracious would mean being forgiving, moving toward the assholes, allowing them to move toward me, sharing a meal with them without secretly putting pubic hair into their spaghetti sauce, things like that. No, 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 no. Grace is lovely. Grace is strong. Grace is a gift. It's a champion. It's beautiful. But sometimes it runs out, and that's okay. Or maybe that's just what grace is, not putting pubic hair into someone's spaghetti sauce. There was a time when all I lived for was to make everyone else happy, to make everyone else healthy, and to make everyone else love me. Fast forward to future Susie, where I don't give a fuck. A psychiatrist once told me that this is also called emotional burnout, where one has lost both hope and empathy. Thankfully, today, I can say that I do give a fuck, but only after a process of establishing healthy personal boundaries. Have you ever had to erect boundaries? There's nothing that will make us look more like a class A bitch than boundaries that appear out of nowhere. What used to be okay for others to do to us is all of a sudden not okay, and well, others don't like it very much. Others get mad. Others might leave. Bye, others. Because chances are good that we're flying way up high on our pendulum, cheeks pressed back from the velocity of the upswing, where everything that used to matter so much is now all of a sudden so small. Being a bitch has its perks, but it doesn't suit me. Not because I'm nicer than that, but because I'm not young and hot enough for the role. I can't deny my motherly heart, my pull to nurture and feed, and the fact that deep down, sometimes deeper than is healthy, I have hope. I was doing my long run on Saturday, and my usual route takes me along the farm road that runs parallel to the freeway. For the most part, it's flat and straight with blankets of farmland, rows upon rows of soil funneling life from the snow-capped mountains jutting out from behind. On this particular day, a truck from behind me traveling in the same direction, he in the right lane and I on the left shoulder, gently swerved over to my side. I couldn't believe it. Most of the time, people give me a wide berth, which is so nice, but a lot of the time they don't even move over an inch. But never has it happened where someone actually drives over toward me like that. I assumed the driver was doing it to get a rise out of me, and I immediately felt angry. And then... I noticed he took a wide right-hand turn down his private farm road around a giant mess of dead raccoon. It wasn't about me at all. When it feels like people are out to get us, most often they're simply avoiding their own giant mess of dead raccoon. My dad used to strike this pose at me and say with a super serious face, My whole body is a weapon. Like, oh, okay, dad. But in all seriousness, life is full of micro-trauma. Those small tears through the spirit muscle that bleed a little and then heal back a bit stronger. Physical exertion mimics this pathway, but with the gift being that this time, we are in charge of the trauma. We are the conductors. 
Controlling trauma is at the very root of human survival. We had a bad day and so we drink wine. We had a bad sleep and so we drink coffee. Our boss treated us poorly and so we come home and treat our loved ones poorly. But physical exertion through sport, through running, allows us to blow shit up in a way that lets us heal back a bit stronger. Sometimes it's a tough workout, but mostly it's simply showing up and opening that door to let pain pass through. Like, hey, I'm here. I'm in charge of the trauma, whether it's quad crushing or mind crushing. I'm here and there's the door. Our whole body is a weapon.